0: Hey, g'day there, fellow humans. Mark LeBusk here for the Simply Practically Human podcast. Um, Geez, how long ago was it now? 36 years ago, it is now. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting a young uh, first year uni student by the name of Jason Arnold. And um, we'll talk a bit about how that initial interaction and connection happened between myself, Jason, and a good mate of mine, Gregor, who's been on the podcast before. And sort of where Jason's got to in his life since then, which is um, very, very successfully running um, some of the biggest swim schools uh, nowadays in Canada with over 10,000 kids turning up there. So from a teaching degree to uh, becoming a swim school instructor to a manager and then a business partner, one of the things that's got Jason all the way through, and uh, I guess a common thread has been connection and building connection, how to create connection, how to maintain it and how to renew it, which is what he did, uh, and you'll hear the story in there about how we reconnected about six years back and and how that connection has continued to blossom from there. He's a great fella. He is a very, very smart human being, a very, very well-intended human being, uh, a loving family man. You'll hear a lot about his family in here as well, and um, just all-around good human being that when I bumped into him, and he's out from Canada at the moment on Friday, I said, hey, mate. Why don't you come out to my place and record a podcast with me on connection? Because that's what we've done again. So have a listen, take some notes. He's got some great things to share and um, hope you get a few laughs out of it as well. We'll catch you at the end. Life can get pretty complicated. In the Simply Practically Human podcast, Mark LeBusque talks to incredible humans to see the way forward more clearly through the complexity in the world and in our heads. Let's get ready to thrive. Jason Arnold, thanks for joining me, mate. Happy to be here, Mark. But actually, it's, it's on my bucket list. On oh, your bucket list? On my bucket list.
1: For 33 years, it's been on my bucket list to do a podcast with you, even before podcasts were made.
0: My wee. Oh, that's uh, how much um, you were a visionary back in those days. We'll talk a bit about that, about how you've revolutionised the world of of swim schools as we get along, but I didn't realise as a young bloke that you were back at college <laughs> that you were thinking about podcasting. Then, when all I was thinking about was where I was going to get my next drink from. <laughs> right, so today we're going to talk about something that happened with us. I reckon about six or seven years ago when I was sitting in a in a bakery one Saturday morning, and I was scrolling through some. Um, some social media, I think on Instagram. And then there was a note there from a guy called Jason Arnold that said, is this you from Ballarat Teachers College? And I'm like, yeah, it is. Why? And, and then that's how we reconnected. Um, and we're going to talk about connection today. We're going to talk about how do you create connection? How do you maintain connection? How do you renew connection? And the other one I want to put out there today for the listeners is, why do you catch up again for the second time? But, uh, and we'll throw in a bit of business stuff and some other things as well, but mate, we always start with first impressions and um, we're going to go back a fair way for this one because right. our first impressions were back at Ballarat College of Advanced Education back, at, uh, back in the days of the mid to late 80s. 1987 was the year actually, I think. Okay, 87 for you. So I went there in 85, so I must have been in year three. You're I must have been my year third th- year then. You're I an experienced man. I may state. well have cut a... Kind of swayed through that place by that stage. <laughs> yeah. But um that's for another podcast. So you get to go first. Your first impressions of, I'm gonna say, a 20-year-old, Mark Lebusque. Uh first
1: impression was very assured, confident within himself. And being a farm boy at the age of 17, I need to be around people that were confident about the way to go, where to go, what to do, even what food to have at Beaufort House where we were staying. I wasn't comfortable what food they would dish up, and you guided me on what was the best food, and Friday night fish and
0: chips was okay. Friday night fish and chips was the best. In fact, that's why we hung around on a Friday night, to get the fish and chips. I think that was magnificent. So my first impressions of you, um, I've said this quite a few times, this comes from a, a, good, a place of good intention. i want to tell you that before I say it. Um, I used to watch a cartoon on, um, on TV, and there was like a big dog. And a little dog. And the little dog used to bounce around the big dog going, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? <laughs> That's exactly what I want. And so my first impression of you was that you were the little dog, but now let me put the good bits in. Was it? That, <laughs> that is a good bit. <laughs> that I think you were looking for some role models and some mentors at that stage. And um, and you, I don't know whether you found a couple of good ones in <laughs> no. Gregor and I, but you were that little dog. And, and then I reckon after a while, though, those first impressions, but after a while... What I really liked about you was, and I can remember some times in the Beaufort House TV room, and I reckon there was one particular time where I reckon that when we knew that you'd started to make it and we're no longer the little dog, I reckon you might have answered me or Gregor back one time, <laughs> and you never did that. And it was like I think you said something, and Are you then proud it went, of me. I was. It went really quiet. Like it went really quiet, and it was like I think you were going like, oh fuck, what's going to happen now? But then we were like, no, no, he's in now. So that's eighty-seven. Yeah. And then we're talking about, I reckon 2017, 18. Yes, so we're talking 31, 30, 31 years later, you yeah. send that message. Let's get into the connection piece now, yes. just quickly. What social media can be seen as a blight, but the, social media was an absolute bonus for both of us at the time yeah. because we, you know, we make that connection again. How did you come across it? What happened? I can't remember specifically what it was. It was some article that was um, saying how
1: you'd, you're starting to make a mark with your being human. And the first thing I saw was the name. And there's, I don't know many Mark LeBusques. So I said, oh, there's a and I'm still, I was still a bit hesitant to reach out. But if it was a John Smith, I probably would not have done it. But I go, I'm pretty sure that's the guy. But I, the thing that caught me, held me back was, I'm sure you've heard this all. Well, you now, Gregor said, it's like, you're really good at this, but we would never guess that this is the, the field you would have gone down. So that was going, oh, is it him? No, it is. It has to be him. So then I reached out and said, and the reason I reached out is because all of our interactions were fun and positive and, and I felt comfortable You would just respond and go, hey, yeah,
0: let's catch up, and that's what you did. Yep, So, because you were coming out. So, you, so we get, we'll get into that in a minute, but you live over the other side of the world now yeah, um, yeah. running your, your very successful swim school, some lovely family that I got the pleasure to stay with when I was over there back at that time. You reached out. And you were coming over. So we caught up and we had a, I think it was at the Kettle Black, we caught up and we had a bloody um, brekkie there. And then you were like, hey, could you come across and speak at a a conference? And I remember that conference and getting a photo and writing an article on LinkedIn, which was called Connection 31 Years in the Making, which meant a lot to me because the fact that you reached out was a really cool thing because straight away you have some good memories of the, the good times we had there. And then there's a curiosity about like, I'm pretty sure he went into swim schools. I'm not 100% sure. So fill in the gap, mate, between 1987 and 2017. Um, You can tell us whatever you want to tell us, because this is where we get to know about Jason Arnold, the human being. Okay, well, uh,
1: 87, uh, finished my phys ed degree in 91, uh, 87, 88, 90, and then uh, did my knee playing Aussie rules. And uh, did it again, first came back. So then I couldn't get a teaching gig because I was doing studying phys ed. Um, went for a job at a swim school because I'd been teaching swimming teaching when I was at uh, university and got the job. In that time, the, there was two phone numbers. The first one was a voicemail or a message, answer machine. In those days, I wasn't comfortable leaving a, a message on the answer machine. So I rang the second one and I turned out at 97 applicants. I was the only one who rang the second one and got to speak to the owner and got the job. There for four years, and that was a really interesting. One around I was a really good swimming teacher, but at the age of 21, being a swim school manager, I was a terrible manager, and I got to learn real quick there's a difference between being a good teacher and a good leader. Did that for four years and met a great man called Paul Sadler, who uh, was in the swim school industry, and uh, became business partners with him for 25 years. And then, COVID came, uh, sorry, before that, 19. 19- 98, met a wonderful Edmonton girl called Dana Townsend. She was backpacking and uh, knew within three days I wanted to marry her. Uh, She took a bit longer to get to realize that. And we got married in 2002, moved to Canada in 2010, and started a swim school in 2012 with 26 kids. And and now we've got nearly 10,000 swimming a week.
0: Well, we, so just wanted to go back to yeah. that because Dana, I've met Dana and I remember watching her when you came out with the Canadian Aussie rules side. I think that was not too long after I was watching a game out. Um, 2017. 2017. And I'm thinking to myself, and so it took her a bit longer, like you knew after three days. Yeah. It's a bit like when you were hanging out with me and Gregor. <laughs> I reckon you knew after three days that you wanted to hang out with us because you were bouncing around <laughs> us like a little dog. It does sounds like you hadn't learnt <laughs> <laughs> on the way because I, I reckon I don't want to be such a you out going, yeah. is he going to stop this little, hey, 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 do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Well, do you want to get married? Sorry well, enough. within two weeks,
1: I'd forgotten this story, but I took her on a trip to Sydney and then she decided to stay in Australia not long after that. And later on, she was looking at bank accounts said, what's that $5,000 loan for? So it was a loan I took out to take you to Sydney so I could seal the deal. <laughs> <laughs> took her on a boat had a great weekend <laughs> took the risk I was entrepreneur around my relationship with her I had to I was really confident it was going to be a great thing and it's actually our 21st anniversary on
0: Thursday. Well, oh, congratulations, Thanks, mate. mate! Well done, well done to you and, and a lovely family, Georgie and Georgie and Charlie. Charlie, yep. so tell us a bit about what they're up to. Charlie is
1: uh, third year university, doing kinesiology at University of Fraser Valley, playing basketball, and she's set a high target for herself because she wasn't a provincial level basketball over there, but it's worked her butt off, and uh, now she um, is uh, playing on a team that's nationally, well, will be nationally ranked this season, a real chance of winning a national title, and. Looks like she's going to get game time. She had a great game on the weekends, dropped three threes and uh, um, third highest scorer on that team. So, uh, yeah, it's exciting for her. And Georgie is a really talented dancer. She's got ambitions of uh, being a backup dancer for Taylor Swift or a big act like that, and she's probably going to go to Boston next year um, to do a year there. That's apparently where agents – I'm learning to be a dance dad, Mark. Well, wow, we? And uh, that's where agents look for dancers for that sort of gig. So she's uh, very excited about doing that.
0: Is there a um – um? reality TV show called Dance Dads, or is that's Dance Mums, isn't There's it? The, the, yes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah the, I, the, I don't know if is any dads in there. But I reckon you'd go all right on that. No, I think Dana's the dance mum. She's the mummer. She's very good at that. Righto. So I remember when I was over there, I went and watched a game of football or soccer, as we call it here, went out and uh, what's one of your daughters, I think your older one was playing, Charlie was playing soccer. And then when I got back to your place, Georgie, like she – is one of the most flexible people I've ever seen. <laughs> she was just doing all of these tricks, and I'm thinking, oh, that Jesus, that would hurt. That would actually yeah. absolutely hurt. And good on them both, because I think they have – my sense is this, is that they've picked up the very best qualities from both their parents with what they're doing in their, in their careers today, which is I guess where I want to pick things up for you, because like 21-year-old swim school manager, didn't manage people well, knew how to teach swimming and all that sort of stuff – formed the relationship with Paul, 25 years of working there. And now it's True Blue, True yeah, Blue, Blue, Swim School. Swim School and you, how many schools, how many have you got in Canada? Eight. Okay. And we're just building a new one in Calgary. Yeah. So, mate, there's got to be something. And one of the things that I wanted to focus in on today is, because I think you do this extremely well, because I saw it at the conference and I've seen it outside of, is um, using connection as a, as a real leverage or a lever to build great relationships with people, whether they be in your swim school as your employees or your clients. But not only that, it's, it's with people at the same level as you. Maybe you, sometimes people can say they're below you or they're above you. But why is connection such an important element of leadership for you? Because I, I see it all the time. The fact that we're sitting here now in my office in Australia, because you reached out again last week and said, I'm here. We're doing a podcast today. Why is it so important to you? Variety reasons. I think living in Canada, what it's taught me is that the
1: friendships or the times you've spent in Australia growing up, some of those can't be reproduced when you move to another country. So when Dana uh, we sta- stayed in Australia, she's got a couple of really close friends that she grew up with, and and she said like she made some good friends in Australia, but it didn't feel the same as what she'd built in Canada. And I've lived the reverse of that. So even though know, we'd had two years in in Ballarat, quality rather than uh, quantity. Yep. And uh, that's really important too. And so, so many experiences in those two years that we'll never forget. And so, I think being able to tap back into that and create some new experiences, which we did in Canada when you came over and and we're doing here. But um, So, I think that's a really important part, connecting with people that have got similar interests. And when we reconnected, that passion for leadership and helping people be better is something that's renewed this for us because we'll get we we met the other day and it's just the time went like that because we're talking about these concepts of connecting and how do you help people be better and build a tribe of
0: people that are aligned with that that vision. Yeah, I like it. So, I hear this quite a bit and and I think it would be great to hear your perspective on this. Like, hey Mark, you know some people are just really introverted and they don't want to connect and they just want to sort of sit in the corner. And when people say that to you, how do you respond if you're thinking about? Because I'm sure that we've all got a bit of introvertiness, a bit of extrovert and a bit of ambivert. How do you, with the introverted ones in particular, get them to step a bit more comfortably into building connection? If they're just a staff member, but a teacher at our swim school,
1: we talk about when they start that. We hire people that have this sense of one of our values is community. So community being built in internal community with our staff, but also with between the kids and the, the parents are having a, a true blue family. So there has to be a level of extrovert to contribute to that. They can't be a passenger in that. So we're really clear on our expectation around that. It's even more elevated when we talk about being a leader or a manager in our business. We just can't have them in a role unless they feel a level of confidence around how they present to themselves because we need them to be a leader to influence others especially in a space where we're encouraging kids to do something they're really scared of doing. Mm-hmm. You've got to have high level of engagement. They've got to be, inspire kids to want to do it. So may in some cases we said, this is not the job for you. Even though you might like to do it, it's not the job for you. It's a bit like saying our background's in teaching, having a teacher that doesn't like, talking to people, like just to keep
0: to themselves saying, maybe you want to try another gig. <laughs> yeah, I get that. And look, that's, that's the one that I spoke to a guy called Damon Lemby about not long back, where question that we all should ask people before we put them into management roles or assume is, do you want to manage another human being? Because some people just don't want to do it. But I wanted to see if you've got an example. This is one of my usual questions without notice. Can you think, though, of an example, we don't need to use names or practical really, here, but an example of maybe where someone was a bit introverted, but you were able to, Help them understand the importance of connection and building connection, and they were able to then step through their level of discomfort and, um, and become a great manager in your, and leader in your organisation. Well, not a manager,
1: but the one that comes to mind, which we talk about at True Blue all the time, is a guy called Pratik. and Pratik came in, and when we interviewed him, he seemed to tick all the other values for us, enough that we said, you know what, he's a bit of an introvert and we're not sure he'll go around community, but we're going to give him a go, and four years later when he left, he was one of the most popular teachers and he wasn't an extrovert at that stage, but he'd done enough and he didn't become a leader within the business, but he came out of his shell to a point where he felt really good about himself, but he, people knew that he'd given his best efforts to connect. And and if we always say, if everyone was an extrovert, it would be a pretty uh, annoying place at times too. And we connected with him through... <laughs> Uh, Facebook just recently because he's in Silicon Valley killing it over there and he might be working with us on on some uh, IT stuff. Fantastic. So we've kept that connection with him. And, yep. if it, and interestingly, if it wasn't a great place to work or if he didn't have fond memories, like I had fond memories of us hanging out, mm. he wouldn't even respond to the message. But he was
0: excited about connecting with a wide group of people who'd you know, helped him and, and and he'd been great for the business. I like that. I want to touch on that now, that the consequential connections that happen. So you're running swim schools with 10,000 kids in them who have got families and all of these sorts of things as well. So there's something else that you're doing. You're not just doing some amazing work and teaching kids how to swim, which is critical to survive and all of those sorts of things, but you must be creating communities within communities. What do you notice about how connections are building through your clients. I've got my own point of view, but what I can say is that one of
1: our goals when we changed to True Blue, which happened over COVID, had us reassess what we do and been 25 years. And for a variety of reasons said, okay, maybe this is a good opportunity for us to take that next step and, and drive something to truly Canadian company. And we had some ideas of things we wanted to do. But one of the things that I get told regularly when people walk into our business, there's a feel about this. It's like, it's, it's not necessarily tangible, but they can feel that they say things like, People look like they really love coming to work here. And parents will say, even if I had a really shitty day, I'll walk into this place and it makes me feel good. So it's not just the lessons that are happening there. It's a group of people that love and rave. Our NPS at the moment is 91. Wow. And so we've got most of our people aren't just coming to work. They're raving and telling others they feel valued and they want to come to work. And it takes a lot of work to do that, to get to that point. But I've been doing it for a while, so I should learn. I've learned... What those key ingredients are. I, I did a presentation the other day, and I don't know if you've seen this photo, but it's a photo of a unicorn cake on Pinterest. Yeah, so, what's a unicorn cake? What's well, it? A so, cake with a, cake it's of a unicorn, unicorn, right? Okay, it's like a, and it's called cake fails right? So you've got this beautiful cake that looks like a unicorn and then mum went and tried to make it and it was a disaster. So we've had people come into our business. We get a lot of visitors and say, okay, I get it. This looks like this and, and this is how it feels. And they go home and they try and make it, but it's very hard to reproduce. It's like footy clubs and how Craig McRae, it's grand final week. He's done a brilliant job building that culture at Collingwood. Not everyone can get it like that. There's so many ingredients that go into it.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. You've segwayed me beautifully here. The the idea of, of thirty-three years I've been waiting for this opportunity. Well, you've you've nailed it. Um, <laughs> there's an old saying that if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Mm-hmm. I think there's absolutely some truth in that on certain things. And we're talking about technical, operational type stuff. We need to be able to see the KPIs. That's cool, KPIs and things like that. But I reckon when I walk into organisations, I feel something before I. I wouldn't even know what the data says or someone might have given me data, but I can feel that, that straight away. And now you're talking about sporting clubs who are very much about the data, but the successful AFL teams in the last five or six years have really been, particularly your team, Richmond, and I know McCray's from there and yep. Kingsley's come from there as well, who's gone to the GWS, done enormous things this year. They all talk about how the feeling's different. It's, it feels different. We're more connected. Uh, we're doing amazing things that we weren't doing before hey guess what we're still the same players with the same technical same efficiency ability, yeah. and ability but all of a sudden we've gone from being 16th on the ladder to winning the premiership the year after mm-hmm. how does connection correlate into that success for for that because you i know you were you are very much a student still mm-hmm. of aussie rules and any sort of elite sport of how this is happening what, what are you seeing a number of things i think First thing is a team that's aligned
1: on a, a set of values. And so uh, Damien Hard will talk about what, the, he always talks about what the Richmond man looks like. So they've clearly gone and said, okay, what does the Richmond man look like? How do they behave? And they've had players, they've let some players go that didn't align with that and said, okay, here's what it looks like and we're going to keep behaving like that Separate to and with separate to ability. And so what happened was when you've got that connection to that bigger goal as players and you feel safe to fail, well, then you perform at a high level. And so players that had been average players perform it. Toby Bedford for GWS, let go from Melbourne. Yep. Same player, but feeling a level of connection or support and valued. And I say the same thing in business. The feeling you walk in is a combination. We've got three key metrics that we use. One is obviously customer numbers, which leads to income, which leads to profitability, really important. Yep. Um, Second one is customer NPS, which at the moment I think is sitting at 81 so our customers are really happy and smiling and and as opposed to you walk into maybe a restaurant and they're not happy the level of service, you just feel tension everywhere. Yep. And like I said, our staff having a high PS as well. You put the three of those together, a lot of people coming into a
0: space, all feeling pretty happy. That's a great place to be. Yeah, it's funny, you know, that culture is another interesting thing because, you know, everyone's trying to measure culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a good net promoter scores, get a number because it's all these formulas and algorithms and all mm-hmm. these things. But people say to me... We're really trying to measure our culture. I'm like, well, you can only feel it. I don't think you can measure your culture. You might have some numbers that relate in some way, but when you walk into a place, like I can walk into your places over in when I came to Canada and, and stayed with you and we did a little bit of work with your team, you can feel it. You can actually feel that there's an advocacy for what they're doing. They believe passionately in what they're doing, but they also believe that you believe in what they're doing as well. The other thing they're good at doing is they're actually good at Understanding and working out pretty quickly the people who say they believe in it, right? But they don't, right? And and you're right, like that. It's we talk about it's better have
1: a measure, a number that you can oh, ask, yes. use a bit of data and say that the question talks about your level of happiness. Mm. How happy are you? Yep. And there's a whole lot of things that make up happiness. And behind that number, we've got 16 you no know, questions they get asked. So we've been able to, There was a time where, for example, that the compensation they were getting for the job they did. Dropped to something like 20 over a period of weeks. And what we didn't realize was the competitors that we were around had raised their wages. Okay. And we'd missed that. Yep. Which was a fault. Fo- that was, we never did that again. Mm. And we changed it and all of a sudden came back up. So it was one driver. It may not have had a huge impact on the the 90 that we had, but it was starting to, but it was one of 16 areas. So that starts to drill down to what you're talking about. That's a wide number of things,
0: but in the end, it's a feeling. You can actually feel it. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I know is something that's critical in your industry is that it's a great development place for kids that are at uni or they're, yeah. they're, they're doing their uni, but they've also become swim instructors and they're doing those things. Have you got some great stories of people who are like, Yeah, I've done this uni thing and it's still there, but I want to continue on in this space just because of how it's made me feel, what I've got out of the work, and also just the fact that I'm hanging around good humans who are well connected. Absolutely, our our vision at uh, True Blue is uh, change lives for the better,
1: and so we talk about most people don't end up making a career out of True Blue, but those who don't, we want them to leave feeling that we've contributed to them and they're a better person for being a True Blue, and that helps them. Land a job will be exceptional in your job. One, two stories come to mind. One, Mark Cecil, who we both know. G'day, Sess Who is uh, CEO of Swimland. Uh, Mark and I connected when he was at university and I was a manager of the swim school at Bacchus Marsh. He finished his education degree. His mum was a, a teacher and so she was really keen to see her boy, which I totally understand be a teacher. He went out and did that, came back and said, you know, I really miss this swim school environment. And then he's made a great, successful career out of it. Another girl who's managing our Calgary location, she, this is a good story. She, What's her name? Her name is Avery Lang. You would have met Avery. Yep. Avery was finishing her, in it's called elementary, primary teaching degree. I did a careers night to let everyone know what it would look like to have a career at True Blue. She was finished. She was going to go and be a teacher. She walked out that night and said, mm, I'm interested in this. Tell me a bit more about it. Three weeks later, said, okay, I'm not going to be a teacher now. I'm going to be a career manager. And she's doing a wonderful job leading out. Like she'll be part of uh, driving the second location in Calgary.
0: And I'm sure she's still able to use the skills and the knowledge and all of the experience that she got out of that diploma, teaching degree, whatever she's doing. Here's, Here's one for you. Three simple and practical tips or tools that you've used, like really simple ones, to build connection. And you can use Be the little dog as one of your things here as well because that's a great way. Be the little dog. Be the little dog. Um, To build connection,
1: I think I'm getting better at this, Mark. It's something I'm working on. My wife tells me all the time it's good for me to be in a space where I'm not the boss of something. I'm not the leader of something. Nice. Because when you're the boss of something, I tend to interrupt. On One of the things I'm working on with my team is interrupting less. Um, I can feel like I'm under pressure to get things done and I'm not listening. So I think to connect, what I'm learning is, Because I'm still a student of it is active listening. Yep. And my wife is brilliant at this. She's such a good connector with people, and it's when I observe her, it's because she spends so much time listening and then asking genuine questions to dig further and further. And people walk away having a you've experienced this firsthand that uh, feeling great about themselves. Mm, mm. A second one would be to have a genuine. You've got to. You've actually got to like people. Because if you don't like people, it's really hard to connect. No, and, and take it that you, again, if there's not always it has to be someone that you've got total uh, similar interests with, you can learn things from everybody, even if it's learning how not to do things. So connecting, and, and again, Spending time here with my dad, my dad will talk to anyone to the point where sometimes it makes me unnerving depending on the suburbs we're walking around. <laughs> he lives in a <laughs> suburb in the Western suburbs and I'm a of smash boy, but I get a bit unnerving sometimes when he'll talk to anybody. And But <laughs> I guess you know, he gets the response and people are happy to chat to him, but uh, he's really good at connecting, so I've probably got those genes. So you can always learn something. A third one. A third one would be I think that it's like a plant, like the relationships are like a plant, and I've learned this being in Canada, that if you don't water it, it dies, and it needs two people to water it, All right? So you've responded straight away, and we'll keep connecting, but sometimes it can be one way, and it's like it shouldn't be hard work.
0: I like it. A couple of things there. So don't always be the boss. I think that's a great one. Um, you can't force it. Hmm. Um, that's the other thing with like people like let's make it a compliance-based activity we need to connect with four new people this week it's like no no no. i think the organic thing works um the intention of it and you talk about Dana before like she is the master at it i've, I've seen her do that and it, you've got to pick some of it up along the way so uh, they are really really important interrupting less that's a good one for you because i mm-hmm. you have mellowed in that space no doubt from when i first Reacquainted with you back in 2017 18, like you were just you're what I could get with you was when, when you were talking to someone, your eyes were darting all around the joint, weren't they? I can't see my eyes, <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to try and, and, and I used to do that myself as well. But one day, someone stopped me and goes, Are you here having a conversation oh, with me, right. or are you somewhere else? Whereas I would notice you now, you're very when you're in the moment talking to someone you're actually there with them. I saw that last Friday when me, you and Cess were mm, together. Mm. That shows that there's a maturity in the in the connection that's going on there. There was one extra thing that had to go uh, is I had a burst
1: appendix. Would have been five years ago, mm. driving around North America, felt a pain, thought, oh, this doesn't feel right, went in to get it checked out. They did a blood test, whipped me straight into surgery, Turns out had been burst and been burst for a while. We were going to drive back from Vancouver to Edmonton. They said if I had done that, I probably, good chance, would have died. Jesus. And uh, there's a big recovery. It was a fair bit of recovery. It had me going. There's a lot of research that says there's a fair bit of stress related to burst appendix in that situation. It was a pretty stressful time for me. So it had me going, you know what? I need to slow down a little bit and be more intentional with the time that whatever time I've got left. How old are you
0: now? I am 54. Oh, we hey. you? Young. Um, so I have a view that people try to overcomplicate the simple stuff. Yes. And so I want to get your sense. You don't have to agree with that view of mine, but I ask all of my guests on here, why do you think if you do that people try and turn simple stuff into complex and complicated stuff?
1: Uh, why do they do that? Sometimes it's to have a try and have a point of difference around a, a topic and, and try and confuse into believing there's a point of difference there, I think. And if you make it simple,
0: everyone can do it. Yep. That one comes up a lot. So if I don't make it complicated or complex, well, then someone else might have done it, which means I don't stand out. That one comes up a hell of a lot. Right, John uh, Peterson talks about that in university. So that's how they, I
1: think I may not have quoted him correctly, but I think the inference is that a lot of people get their jobs there from making others feel like it's complicated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so wrapping up, you're putting together some stuff to try. You're going to create some sort of leadership book at some stage. You well, doing something the the there? genesis of that was in COVID, I went, I knew we were going to be growing true blue
1: and a whole lot of questions around okay, even drilling down to scenarios. Oh, what should we do when this happens? What should we do when that happens? And instead of having an exhaustive lists, I said, okay, work back and go, how have I built this culture and try and analyze how can people reproduce that and put it in a book? so that the people in our business don't have to ask the questions. It was all that was the genesis of it. And as yep. I've spoken to more people and i presented, I presented at the National Conference last year, people have said, hey, I'd like to hear about that. And so it's got to the point where I've actually felt comfortable enough. So I'm writing a book now and I don't know how many people will read this, Mark, but apparently there's some good stuff in there. There's culture and building culture and I shared yeah. the guts of it with you the other day and you were quite enthusiastic
0: about the concept. Um, so we'll see how I it think goes. it's a great concept, and it doesn't matter how many people read it. If one person reads it and they get something out of it, that's a, that's a good thing. So it's twenty twenty three, and um, we met in nineteen eighty seven, and where we reconnected in two thousand and seventeen ish, I think mm. eighteen maybe, and then each time you come out now, you reach out, yeah, and and that's cool. Like I, it was Thursday night, and it was getting on, maybe up past. I'm old, so I was starting to maybe get my slippers on and sit there with my pyjamas and have a, a Horlicks to get myself off to sleep. And I, and as soon as I saw it, I'm like, it's a thing of oh, whatever or bang, and you just respond. We were able to find a way to make it work. This wasn't planned, but it was like, hey, mate, do you want to catch up again? Come out to my joint we'll record a podcast. Thanks for coming out. Um, Thanks for having me. Good to see you, and I hope to um, get across back over to your neck of the woods at some point in time and, and have a look at the great work you're doing in um, Building Connection. Jason, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Mark. I, I wasn't quite sure how Jason was going to respond when I shared my first impressions with him, but he obviously watched the same cartoon of the big dog. I think it was like a big bulldog. And then this little dog, I reckon it was like a Jack Russell, but he used to just yap around and go, what are we doing? What are we doing? Hey, what are we doing? What are we doing? And that was Jason when I met him way back in 1987. But... One of the things that I did uh, love about him was that he he wasn't o- overly starry-eyed for too long, and at one stage he gave me a bit of a metaphorical clip behind the ear for something stupid that Gregor and I had done and uh, always had a, a very, very strong work ethic, um, always happy, always connecting, always looking to be better, now whatever that means, better in whatever that means, and, um, and I still see those qualities in him today, some of what he shared today. You don't always have to be the boss, interrupt less and connect more, listen more actively. And the other thing is, if you're going to be good at connecting, you better like people. Now, that sounds almost too simple and practical, but this is the Simply Practically Human podcast. So he's, uh, he's, he's dropped that out in, in a very, very nice way. I just enjoyed his passion for connection, for helping others who do don't believe that they are leaders or demonstrating leadership, that he was has an innate ability to, to help them to see the leadership that they bring out of themselves. Just a good, good human being. And I'm all the better for him reaching out after looking at a, um, I think it was either a LinkedIn post or an Instagram post where he saw me signing some books way back in 2016, 2017. And we're connected again and we catch up regularly. When he comes out here... He reaches out. When I go to Canada, I've done some work with him and his team and um, everything that he talks about, that people have this feeling in his organization it does stem from connection and he does it exceptionally well. So it's a pleasure to have him on, pleasure to have hosting him at our place. So if you love this one, why not rate it five stars and uh, leave us a little note about why you loved it and why connection is so important. And if you liked it, share it with your friends, share it with people who maybe aren't your friends who you'd like to connect with. But until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now.